Hi, and welcome to Theology for Millennials podcast. My name is Eric Marvin, and I just happen to be a millennial, and I'm excited about discussing with you all the different theological topics and doctrines uh, over the course of this podcast. So stay tuned. As always, Eric Marvin here, uh, excited about another podcast episode today for Theology for Millennials. Uh, today we're going to be diving into um, kind of a two-part podcast uh, thing where we, we're going. I want to start talking about uh, who God is, um, the attributes of God, um, what is He like? You know, if God exists, the last few, or excuse me, the last uh, podcast I talked about. Um, you know, the existence of God and how do we, you know, what evidence is in the world, what evidence is in creation um, and in history that we have. Uh, and then philosophically thinking about it too, what evidence is there the, you know, to prove the existence of God? And we kind of discuss those things. And then today, basically, we're making the, or I'm making the assumption that if there is a God, then what is he like? So if he exists, the assumption, the underlying assumption here, the foundation is, is that God exists and that he's personal. So there's kind of two assumptions really, I guess, but he exists and he's personal. So what is he like? What do we know about him? What If we were to meet him in a room and be able to interview him, uh, what, what would we learn about him and, and what kind of person would he be? And so we're going to kind of split this up into two, and I'm going to explain a little bit more about why they're going to be split. In the, this is going to be split into two different podcast discussions. Um, there's there's two. Uh, it's it's because of the way that his attributes, um, the the way I believe they're divided up. Um, there's kind of a systematic way of doing this, and so uh, we're going to talk about one kind of attribute today, and then we're going to talk about another kind of attribute uh, next time I do a, a podcast. So. Um, but first, before we kind of get into into all that, uh, we first need to ask ourselves, why even do this in the first place? Like, what is the point of trying to figure out what God is like? What is the reason? What is the purpose for for doing that? Because um, is it kind of is, is it? I mean, if he's a, if he's a God who is so out there, right? Then is it isn't it kind of arbitrary? Isn't it kind of useless to even? try to understand him if there's no reason behind it. So I want to read to you before we kind of dive into some of the meteor stuff. I want to read to you real quick from a book in uh, that's called, it's simply called God. And I have a stack of books here that I got to get out. So one second. Here we go. Okay, so this is a book. It's literally, the title of it is called God. And its subtitle is Discover His Character. It's by a guy named Bill Bright. Bill Bright started Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, he is uh, no longer with us. He has uh, passed away. But he wrote this book. He wrote like actually 50 books and very good author. Uh, but this is a really um, powerful book. I read it um, I read it quite a few, a couple of years ago, probably, I don't know, three, four years ago, I read this book. And then as I was studying about this, um, as I was going through my bookshelves, looking at, you know, pulling out books to study and uh, on this topic, this one just jumped right out at me and I was like, oh, I got to dive into that again. But literally in the first chapter, he he basically addresses this issue of why is it important to know God? And this is kind of the first thing. This is the second sentence of his book in chapter one. He says, is it possible for a mere human less than a tiny speck on a pebble of a planet in the middle of a vast galaxy to know the great God who created everything? I thought that was a really interesting question. 
Um, and then this is he later on, a little bit later on in the next few pages, he actually ends up um, quoting another famous author and preacher who is a, a one of my favorites. Um, this is from years ago. This is this is really old stuff, classic, if you will. Uh, but A.W. he quotes A.W. Tozer. And in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, this is what Tozer says about this. Tozer says, The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe in the consciousness of the divine presence. It is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous or inadequate. If we would if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. That was Tozer. And that was written quite a quite a while ago. And here's what's interesting is, you know, we tend to think of um we tend to think of the, especially here in America, I think this is pretty much true for most people, especially within evangelicalism, within the evangelical church movement. There's this belief that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, we were far more spiritual than we are today. Uh, there was this, there's this belief that we have since kind of regressed and we're moving in a direction that is uh, far more um, I, I, I guess the word would be, you know, kind of carnal, worldly. Uh, it's, it's a way, it's, we're moving in that direction. Now, here's what, what I would say. Um, my, my belief is this, is that uh, I would say that in a way we are, because there is definitely more of this outward celebration of what I'm going to, the word I'm going to use is, is sin. I believe it to be sin. There's more of an outward celebration or there's more of these social, social norms, uh, with things like, you know, like 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, if you were to be living with another person who wasn't your spouse, I mean, you were, it was pretty much frowned upon. You didn't do that. And today it's, actually thought of as almost weird if you don't do that first before you get married. Uh, and so in some respects, I, I believe that is true. But Tozer wrote that so long ago, and he was looking around, and and through his observation of the world, you know, however long that was ago, 50 years ago or something like that probably, I'm not quite sure when it was written, but um, even if it was just, you know, 40, 50 years ago, he this guy's looking around in a different time, in an era that would be completely foreign to us and going, hey, the, the, the source of all these lesser evils in the world is because of an inadequate or an incomplete, insufficient understanding of who God is. And this is what then Bill Bright says in response to that. This is literally the very next two sentences. Bill Bright says in his book, he says, in fact, Everything about our lives, our attitudes, motives, desires, actions, and even our words are influenced by our view of God. Whether our problems are financial, moral, or emotional, whether we are tempted by lust, worry, anger, or insecurity, our behavior reflects our beliefs about God. I, I just, I don't know, I was, I went, as I was studying this, read through that, and just struck me as, man, that's, that's powerful, especially written in a time that way that was pretty it was pretty different than what our world is like today and i think that is even more true today than it ever was so uh it is even more important for us 
to uh, try to figure out who God is and what he is like and have a correct, uh, as, as complete as we possibly can, uh, view of God. Now, uh, I believe that we will never fully have a complete understanding of God. And I'll tell you why, because uh, here in a minute, because it has to do with some of his attributes and some of what he is like. Uh, but we can have more accurate view. There is less accurate understandings of God and there are more accurate understandings of God. Uh, and what I believe is, and this is really this 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 cuts at the core of why I even started this podcast in the first place is that in my experience as I have moved through the human experience over the last thirty you know thirty one years or so, um, I have come into contact with so many uh, people who claim to be Christ followers, claim to be Christians, yet know nothing of God, and I just think that's a travesty, and I, I think I, I think that. If you claim to follow him and you you say that he is your king and your lord and your savior, yet you know nothing about him, that doesn't that just doesn't make any sense. And then even worse is is that people who uh, claim to know him and yet the things that they are claiming about him are not um, they're not substantiated with evidence. There, there's there's no evidence suggesting that God is that way. Uh, or they'll take passages in scripture that dis- that describe God, but but they'll kind of, I've just and I've been guilty of this myself. I've I've done this too, and so I I'm not saying that I'm perfect in this, but you take passages of scripture that try to explain something about God, and then you kind of manipulate them to basically either downplay something about who God, uh, an attribute of who God is, or to exaggerate it. Uh, and and I think that's really bad. Essentially, it all comes down to this. It comes down to we as humans, we we want to be in control, and we want to be the ones who create the narrative. We want to be the ones who determine this is what God is like. I have figured out what He is like, and this is who He is. Um, you know, when I hear people say things like, "Well, I just can't believe God would do that," I mean that that statement in and of itself is so arrogant. Uh, the the fact that you you know, God couldn't do something because in your mind you can't imagine it. That that is putting a limitation on who God is and on why He would do something. And so, we have to be very careful with that. So, uh, with all that said, here is what I think. If I was sitting across the table or sitting in a room with you and we were discussing theology, this would be what I would challenge you to do: is I would challenge you to look at this. Uh, this subject of who is God or what is he like. And I would challenge you to try to be completely open-minded to the to possibilities, uh, to not try to squeeze God into the box, but to allow God to define himself to you, to allow God to reveal himself through uh, as many different means as possible, whether it's through creation or whether it's through the scriptures whether it's through the communication of the Holy Spirit through you, but I would I would ask you and challenge you to allow God to reveal himself to you, not for you to try to define who God is. Uh, another way of putting it is think of it like this. The reality is, is that we as humans are pretty much at the top of the food chain. Like when it comes to nature, when it comes to this world, we're at the tippy top, right? Like if we want to understand anything in this world, we can essentially look down on it and we can we can understand 
every aspect of it. We can look at something from every single possible angle, even things that are bigger than us. You know, even when we think about the cosmos, we're, we, we're trying to, you know, we, there are scientists out there, NASA, that is trying to understand um, as much about the universe as possible. But even with that, we can look at it from every single sort of angle. You know, the the universe in and of itself is is just a innate object, right? It's it's nothing. It doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't have a, a brain. It's not thinking. It's it's not sentient. Uh, so we, as the sentient beings of the universe, can look at something like that, and we can see it from every single angle, and essentially it's below us in terms of intelligence, and we can fully understand, or at least we can try to fully understand it. In a way, we can we can put everything under a microscope. Now, when it comes to God, we can't do that. Because when it comes to God, uh, if he is who he says he is, he is so far above us and completely removed from our world. The Bible uses the word holy, which is a word that means separated or different or unique, completely and utterly different from us. Therefore, and because I believe in, in pretty much all throughout the Bible and all throughout Christianity, the tradition, the, the belief is that is God is a very much higher intelligence than us. What that means is, is that we can't put God under the microscope. So when we try to understand who God is, it's not because we're looking at him through a microscope. It's because we're under the microscope and we're waiting for him to reveal it to us. <laughs> so I hope that, I don't know if what I just said maybe is soaked in. I just want you to think about that real quick. We cannot put God under the lens of a microscope and see him by looking down on him. We are underneath him as the lesser intelligent being, and we must patiently await revelations from him in order to understand who he is. We, we, cannot, we, we cannot claim to be above God and that we can understand him because of the scientific method that doesn't work with God. We can only understand him because he has chosen to reveal it to us and he has chosen to allow us to understand it. So with that, uh, let's start diving into what what do we know about God and what what can we what conclusions can we draw uh, as we study him. So I'm going to get into I'm a, I'm, I want to get into some kind of some of the deeper kind of the nitty gritty things. You can go really, really deep uh, really quickly with all this. Uh, but I want to kind of step by step get to that and I'll get to a certain level. Uh, where I, I want to explain a few of the attributes today, but I'm not going to go so deep as to explain all the different nuances and all the different, um, you know, th- the the different kind of logical uh, kind of uh, paths you can go down uh, when you get into each attribute. Because you can really, you can just, this thing branches off into a million different branches and it, it gets pretty crazy. Um, there's a lot of different ways to systematically look at this. And I want to just share, share with you real quick, uh, there's a really interesting, uh, so Basic Theology written by Charles Ryrie, another older book, but really good book. I'm, I'm not going to be in this book for long because I'm actually going to be switching over to um, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He does a little bit, in my opinion, does a little bit better job explaining uh, it more in detail. But Charles Ryrie in his book uh, talks about categories and how do we categorize the different uh 
attributes, or he calls them perfections of God. And so I thought these were really good. He gives kind of three different three different ways of doing this. He talks about you can really you can take God's attributes and you can split them between his non-moral or or another way of putting it is his natural attributes and then his moral attributes. So his non-moral attributes would be things like his self-existence or his you know infinity, um, things like omnipotence or omniscience. Like there, he he's not making a choice to use them. There, there's not their morality does. They're just a state of being, right? Saying that God is omniscient, that He's everywhere and in all places at once, is not a issue of morality. It's an issue of being. Whereas the justice of God is He just and is He holy or is He love? That that's 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 speaking to His morality. Okay, so that's one way to categorize the attributes. There's another way of categorizing these. There's uh, absolute or relative attributes. Here's what he says about this. Absolute attributes includes those that belong to the essence or as considered in itself. Uh, and relative attributes belong to the essence of God as considered in relation to his creation. Okay, so the absolutes are the ones that are the essence of God in relation to himself. And the relative ones are the attributes of God in relation to his creation. Okay, so that's another way of putting it. And then there's the third, and this is the one that I'm going to be using over the next couple of, and this is why we're splitting this into two different podcasts, is because he talks about their incommunicable and then communicable attributes. So the difference is an incommunicable attribute is an attribute about God that we, it, it is not communicated to us. We cannot really participate in this attribute like like we can't hold this attribute ourselves this is something that is completely unique to god in every way and it is so far beyond us it we can we, we kind of begin to understand it but we don't in ourselves have it and then there's communicable attributes and these are attributes of god that we actually have within ourselves uh, these are things that he has transferred into us um, and so it, that's probably the most well understood, or at least the most talked about way of uh, kind of categorizing the perfections or the attributes of God. And so those are the two I'm going to use today. So uh, those are just some, again, if you want to kind of dive into that, you can get really deep. Uh, But just for reference, there's, you know, a couple of different ways to categorize these non-moral, moral, absolute, relative, incommunicable, and communicable. So I'm going to use the latter, the incommunicable and the communicable ones, uh, and that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today. So today I want to talk about just his incommunicable attributes. And sorry if that sounds like a funny word. It is kind of a funny word to keep saying it over and over again. But I, I, today I want to discuss real kind of briefly. Again, I'm not going to get super deep into this because you can go really deep really quickly. But I do want to talk about the attributes of God that are um, incommunicable. That means these are the ones we we don't have these. We never will have these. These are what make God completely unique to us. He's different. He is beyond. He is completely outside of everything we know and understand because of these attributes. Now, I'm switching over to Wayne Grudem's uh, Systematic Theology book now. And he lists out, uh, I think, five. There's way more. There's, there's more than this. But these are kind of the top five. And I just really quickly want to kind of go over these and just talk about kind of what they mean and and 
and, and really this is the whole, again, please hear me out. The whole purpose of this is to just give you a taste of where you can go and how much you can study about God. This is to give you a taste and hopefully my, what, what I hope to inspire the listeners to do is to find the one that interests you and study it even deeper. You know, whatever it is that I say today, that that one attribute of God that maybe you didn't know or understand, um, this is this is a chance for you to really begin to research and dive into these, and and I hope you do because that's that's really the goal of this is to really kind of whet your appetite to to get in and study these things because they they are so good and they can get really deep really quick. But I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface uh, today. Okay, so the first one is that Grudem talks about is he talks about the independence of God. Now you might think, mm, Eric, uh, I'm independent. Uh, that must be a communicable attribute. Well, hold your horses because it's not when you're talking about, uh, let me let me read the definition of this and, and you'll kind of see what I'm talking about. Here's what the definition of God's independence is. God's independence is defined as God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. This attribute of God is sometimes called his self-existence or his aseity from the Latin word ase, which means from himself. What this means is that God is completely independent from, he is self-sustained. We are not this, okay? We are not completely independent in that we can sustain ourselves because of ourselves. Let me give you an example. Uh, If you were to decide today that you were no longer going to eat food or drink water. I guarantee you, you would not be doing very well in, the, in a, a week from now. In fact, you would pretty much, you would be dead. Uh, <laughs> you can't survive. You cannot live independent from food and water. You need those things, okay? Uh, that's a physical need. Relationally, um, it is not good for you to be completely isolated, Wow, that is so true today with what we're what we're dealing with with coronavirus and uh, and social lockdown and distancing and all that and all that stuff. You 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 are dependent upon relationships in your life uh, in order to fully live and in, and in order to fully be human, you need to have relationships. Um, and so you can't be independent of those. When you cut that off, you kind of cut a piece of you out. So with God, however, he is completely independent, completely self-sustained. Everything about him, he can carry on for all of eternity without ever relying on anything else. Okay? We can't do that. We are dependent and he is independent. Okay? So that's the first one. Here's the second one. This is uh, his unchangeableness or sometimes called his immutability. Here's the definition. God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purpose, and promises. Yet God does act and feel emotions. And he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Okay? So it's, again, these definitions, by the way, are giving uh, a, they're defining it, but then they're also kind of giving a counterstatement to kind of clear up any sort of, um, and any sort of a, a false assumptions or wrong assumptions we might make. We sometimes we hear a definition and we jump to massive conclusions and we don't fully understand. So that's why there's kind of a two part uh, to each definition. 
So his immutability is basically saying God never changes, but he still can interact with us. He still uh, feels with us and he he responds, but that doesn't mean that he's changing. So here, think about it this way to kind of hopefully explain a little bit more is think about this. God will never have any more love than what he has right now. Okay. It, it doesn't change. It's not that he, he, God will never love you more because he has never loved you less. Think about that. He will never love you more, all right, because he's, his love for you is completely perfected. He will never have more mercy than what he has right now. He will never have more grace than what he has right now. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think that even that statement right there would fly in the face of what a lot of Christians would even say or believe today. There's a lot of Christians out there that pray, uh, God, give me more grace. God, show me more mercy. He doesn't need to, and he won't because it's perfected. He's already given you the exact amount of grace needed, the perfect the perfect amount of mercy needed. He, if he was to give more, that means that, that means that he wasn't giving you his full amount of grace before, okay? So he's immutable. That part of him is completely unchanging. Think about this in the sense that God God will never learn anything. No, he doesn't need to. It is perfected. He has all the knowledge. He is unchangeable. Uh, we are not that way. We are constantly in a state of change. Uh, we are constantly uh, evolving and, and changing and learning and, and moving and adapting. God is rock solid uh, and he doesn't change. So that's uh, second attribute. Uh, let's go to attribute number three, which is, uh, whoop, uh, there it is, uh, eternal. Okay, eternal. So God is independent. God is unchangeable. God is eternal. So here's the definition. God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in his own being. And he sees all time equally vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. Okay, the way I think about this is uh, this is a hard one to understand because essentially this is this is basically uh, kind of sounds like a sci-fi statement, but it's saying that one one of the attributes of God is that He is outside of space and time, right? And I know that sounds crazy, right? But He is not confined. He is not um, held down by the the limits of time. Uh, he can see every single event that's ever happened from the beginning all the way to the end. It is, it, it is almost like it's it's almost like uh, you know how you can scroll through all your different photos, uh, you know, in, in your in your iPhone. You can kind of see all of them at one point, and and you can. It's almost like God eternally has that scroll in front of him, and he doesn't even need to move it. It's just all there. Right, and he can see every single snapshot of every single millisecond uh, across all of all of space and time and all of history, and he can see it all, and he can interact with it all, and it's it's pretty amazing to think about that. Uh, I like to think of it as this: is you know we live in a three dimensional world, and again, I don't, I'm not some scientist. I know there's probably scientists out there saying, oh, we're actually in a four dimensional world or whatever. I I don't know that. All I know is that I do know that we are in three dimensions, right? There's uh, height, width, and depth, okay? Um, 
I think about it like this. If I was to put myself on a two-dimensional plane, right? Like the old, like, you know, video games, old school fighting video games where all you can do is move up and, and left and right. God is in the three-dimensional world and he can look at us, look at it from every single possible angle. And I think that's, and, and this is how I view God seeing time and being eternal, is that he looks at time and he can see every single possible angle there is to see. And he completely surrounds it. He, and he's not defined by it or confined within it. Uh, it is not a limitation on him. He is outside of it. Um, really hard to understand, uh, but it's, uh, it, it, it's, I believe it's absolutely true. Um, okay, let's keep going. Uh, another attribute of God. Again, uh, I would ask for anyone who's listening to this, don't take my word for all of these. Uh, research these yourselves. Find evidence for them, okay? Uh, the next one is omnipresence. This is a little bit different. Also has kind of, it, it's not really has to do with time. It has more to do with space, spatial uh, proximity, if you will. Here, here's what omnipresence is defined as. God's omnipresence is defined as he does not have size or spatial dimensions, and he is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places, okay? So that doesn't mean that God is this is spread out throughout all of the entire known you know, universe, and he's equally in every single, he, not to say that he can't be, I, I think he can be. It's more that he he's not defined by the dimensions that we live in. He is he can be with me and he can be with you simultaneously at the same time. And the fullness of his being is there. It's not like his being is being allocated, you know, across all of space, okay? It's not like there's a percentage of God kind of sprinkled everywhere. No, it's the fullness of his being is in every possible space imaginable. And that's a really cool thing to think about. The last one, so that's omnipresence. And the last one here uh, that Grudem talks about is his unity, uh, God's unity. And it's defined as this. God is not divided into parts, yet we see different attributes of God emphasized at different times. This is the idea that God's attributes, um, they... They all work in unison. And even though at times we can see different parts of his attributes, that doesn't mean that they are distinct from who he is. So Grudem gives some really interesting uh, visual um, examples of this. He kind of has some charts. He shows one chart where it's just a bunch of circles and each circle has an attribute listed within it, basically saying God is not a combination of all of these. Uh, neither is... Neither are these things added on to his being. Okay, so he's, his being is not just a uh, all these attributes combined together. And his being is not here with these attributes added, like tacked onto it. It's more like, and I'm going to try to explain this, and I might do a terrible job, but I'm going to give it a whirl anyway. He talks about his, his being almost as, um, and he has a graph, and he shows all these different lines. There's horizontal lines, diagonal lines, um, uh, you know, lines that are kind of moving parallel but are crisscrossing. And he basically all these lines, uh, Grudem says, think of each line as a attribute of God. They are who he is and they intersect. And at times we see them for what they are, but at times they intersect with other attributes as well. 
And so uh, there is so much more to God than just defining these specific attributes, but we can see these attributes as being who God is and how they interwork with each other. And they kind of uh, are part of his holy, are, are part of who he is, of his essence. Uh, and it's a really, really cool thing to be, to think about. Okay. So here is where I want to end with all this, because I'm already 33 minutes in. And guys, literally, I scratched the surface on this thing, just scratched the surface. There's so much more uh, that could, that could go in, that we could go into, but I uh, don't have hours and hours and hours. But here's what I want to leave you with, and and here's really what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to put aside all those preconceived ideas that you currently have about who God is. What I would ask you to do is to, to simply be honest, to be intellectually honest, and admit that we don't know everything there is to know about God, and that there are attributes of, of his character and of who he is that We've never actually put the time in to study these and to understand them. And we must admit to ourselves and we and confess to God that we have falsely attributed things to him and that we have attempted to define who he is without fully actually knowing it and without putting the work in to try to understand it. Here's what I want you here's what I want us all to do is Let's get rid of this idiotic idea that we can put God under our microscope and understand him that way. Let's humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and humbly wait for his revelations so that he can reveal to us in His in the time that he sees fit his attributes and his character and who he is. And here's the, here's the thing. This is where I believe. See, this is where, to me, I believe faith comes in and plays a huge role in this. Because it doesn't take faith to put something under a microscope and to control all the variables and understand. There's no faith involved in that. Because we are the the only thing we're putting our faith in when when that when it comes to that is we're putting our faith in our own ability to understand and to deduce and to conclude. When I when we do what I just am talking about where we remove ourselves from being above God and we place ourselves underneath God, we truly must exercise faith muscles in order to patiently wait on God to reveal who he is to us. That's what I would encourage you to do today, especially when it comes to these incommunicable attributes, these attributes that none of us are any of these things. We are not fully with we are not fully unified like God is. We never will be. We are not independent. We are not omnipresent. We are not omniscient. Uh, we are not unchangeable. Uh, we are not any of these things, but God is. And we can only know as much as he reveals to us, okay? Next time, next podcast, I'm going to talk about the communicable attributes. These are the attributes that we can actually, uh, we can take them and we can kind of absorb them and we can actually practice these and live out these attributes. And these are the communicable attributes of God. So we're going to talk more about that next time on Theology for Millennials. Millennials.